Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. Thanks so much for joining us today. You know, before we jump into this episode, uh, we just want to remind you about the Sandbox Cooperative live event that is happening in just a few days here, coming up quick. Yeah, we've been so excited about this uh, this event, and it's been a while since we've had them, but we'll be welcoming award-winning author and professor Jacqueline Bussey to the Sandbox in Rochester, Minnesota. That's 7 p.m. Central time on September 23rd. So Jacqueline will be talking about her new book. It's called Love Without Limits, Jesus' Radical Vision for Love with No Exceptions. It's available now on Amazon or wherever you get your books. But again, uh, we've read it. We highly recommend it. Uh, they sold out the initial run of books, um, but there's more. They're ready to go. Grab your copy and you can get, and you can read it too. Yeah, I was so excited to read it and I had ordered it, pre-ordered it on Amazon and then it was delayed because they ran out. And so I bought the electronic copy and now I've got two. That's really nice. So come find me. I will share. <laughs> but you can participate in this event in, in one of two ways. You can come to Studio 324 in Rochester on September 23rd. Jacqueline Bussey will be talking, taking Q&A. You can meet her. You can have some food, hear some music. We'll have uh, beverages. Just a time to connect with each other. Be community. But be sure to get a free ticket. Follow the links on our Facebook page and our website uh, because space is limited and we don't want you to miss out on this chance to be there. Or as a, as a plan B, you can watch our live stream through Facebook or uh, our website. If you do this, you can also ask questions and participate in the conversation through the chat windows. And more information on all of this, the live event, and all the other details are available at sandboxcooperative.com. As for today's episode, we've been waiting a long time to introduce you to our friend Linda K. Klein. We met her a little better than a year ago while we were on our East Coast tour. Linda just released her book called Pure, Inside the Evangelical Movement That Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free. Linda is also the founder of Break Free Together, an organization that helps people to release shame and claim their whole selves. She has spent over a decade working at the intersection of faith, gender, sexuality, and social change. She earned an interdisciplinary master's degree from New York University focusing on American evangelical Christian gender and sexuality messaging for girls. Yeah, we spent about an hour or so meeting with her in Manhattan last year, but we wanted to wait until the book came out so that you can get to know her. And then buy her books and buy lots of them, would you? Buy them for the women and men in your life because it is such important work. And now here's episode 72, Keep the Shrimp Tales with Linda K. Klein. Welcome to the Sandbox. Tell us about yourself and your work, what you love, what you're passionate about, what you, yeah, what's, what's, what's driving the bus for you to these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that it's always a difficult uh, question for me to start with. So okay. I'm going to start with a little bit about what led me to here, because sure. the things that cool. I'm working on today are, are actually started for me back when I was a kid even. So yeah, my yeah. story is inextricably tied to what I'm passionate about today. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so I'll do a brief version of my story and then sure. we can kind of pull back if you want to hear other parts later. But cool. um, so I grew up in the Midwest, as you know, I grew up in a non-denominational church and really struggled with uh, the way in which sex and gender and sexuality were being taught, um, among other things. But that was the thing that really affected my life in a big way. And so, as I think, you know, um, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I ended up leaving the church as a result of it mm -hmm. and really had this belief that um, leaving the church would mean that I was suddenly free from all of these ideas that I've been raised with around sex and mm -hmm. gender and sexuality. And I would suddenly be able to 
uh, live in a way that aligned with what I thought I should be able to live. Um, but it turned out to be not the case because a lot of the ideas had been so internalized that they were still controlling me, right? So I was still in my college classes, you know, speaking up in class and, and really feeling strongly and passionately about what I said. Um, and in a way that now I would hope to be proud of myself for having done, but the, my reaction then was beating myself up for days afterward. Oh, mm. what if they thought that I thought that I knew everything? Oh, what if they think that I'm prideful? Oh, what if they think this or think mm. that, right? So even just in these little ways, the sort of gender stuff, um, which would result in me kind of like beating myself up. Um, and then sexuality was like a whole other beast, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I was finding it really difficult to be in, in relationships with people. So when I was in my mid-20s, I reached this point where I was like, this isn't going anywhere. You know, I'm trying to push through this on my own and really come to some sort of sense of freedom and it's not working. Mm. And over the years, I had started to hear these kind of whispered stories from my hometown, from the um, people I'd grown up with in my youth group, um, girls that I'd grown up with who are now, you know, adult women in their 20s. I was I was 26 at this time. And so they were, you know, between 21 and 29. So mm. all in their 20s. And um, hearing whispered stories were very similar to my own, you know, particularly when it came to this realm of what it meant to be an adult (laughs) who had been raised with these messages that, you know, are very specific in the way that they're communicated to girls. So, So I went back to my hometown and I spent a year interviewing every single person I could, I could get to answer the phone call uh, who I had grown up with in my youth group, all the girls, uh, about what their adult lives were like when it came to sex and gender and sexuality. And you know, me opening up and telling my story really encouraged them to open up and tell their stories. And you know, people told me things that they had, in many cases, never told anyone else. Mm. And they were so similar to what I had experienced that it just became this you know, kind of click moment where I was like, oh, this isn't just me, right, you, know? you right. know, and this is enough of us in my hometown that this probably isn't my hometown, <laughs> right? right? This is a much larger thing mm-hmm. that I'm stumbling into that's way more complex than I have any understanding around. And I just felt sort of lit by this fire. You know, um, in many ways, I feel like, you know, when I left my faith community, which by the way, it's not the same, of course, as leaving my faith, right? Mm-hmm. But um, which didn't happen. But but when I left my faith community, I felt like in many ways I had lost my purpose in life. Hmm. And and I think when I started to realize that I wasn't alone in this experience, in in some ways, one of the things that lit me on fire was this uh, a, another sense of call, right? It, it felt like a it felt like I was hearing God's voice again, um, in a way that was saying, you know here's something that you're seeing and yeah. you're experiencing and nobody else is talking about, right? And mm-hmm. you know that this is bigger than you and you know that this is bigger than this community and it's your charge to figure out this complex, you know, multi-layered, <laughs> yeah. you know, weedy stuff, right? Yeah. And it gave me um, a, a new sense of purpose in a lot of ways. So went back to grad school, um, studied an interdisciplinary graduate degree in oral history, how you make sense of stories uh, and, and draw cultural trends out of them. Uh, it was interdisciplinary, so that and religious studies and some art and social change stuff, some creative nonfiction, how do I actually tell stories mm. out there in the world? I had had a, uh, an undergrad in, in writing, but it was fiction mostly. Okay. Um, so, so anyway, and while I was in grad school, I started doing interviews with people who had 
have been raised in churches like mine from around the country. So now I've got more and more interviews from people who are, you know, a much broader range, and I'm still hearing similar themes come up. So when you first started that, it was just out of your own personal curiosity. Yeah. Is that right? And then I would say out of my own personal curiosity. curiosity and heartbreak and right. fear for whether or not I would ever be able to be a healthy human being. You know, it, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but, I mean, but it wasn't, but it wasn't like you, Oh, I'm going to do this for a paper or a, a dissertation or anything. This was out of your, your drive for yourself personally and what you were needing to work through and, and with. Is that? Yeah. I would say that that is very much true. I would also say that I've always been sort of a project oriented person. And so I think there was a part of me even back in those early days that, um, that wondered what that could become, Mm. right? Like if this is true, you know, then, then this needs to be out there some way, shape in the world. Right. So, but no idea, you know, what form that would take, if that would take a form. Um, you know, I, I sort of live, live via project my life. And sometimes, you know, sometimes these journeys, like the journey that you took with, with this podcast, Mm -hmm. right. Sometimes they turn into, to things and sometimes they don't and so yeah yeah you kind of walk into it not knowing what will happen next sure and and there was another part that i was really kind of interested curious about um you said you know leaving your faith community is different than leaving your faith and mm. and absolutely is that how you saw it then no. I mean, yeah <laughs> i was wondering about that oh no <laughs> no at all <laughs> yeah do you want me to you want me to yeah, talk about to that for a yeah. moment No, when I, so it's funny because I still think of the moment in which I left the community as my quote unquote loss of faith, which is absolutely not what it was, you know, because I am this incredibly (laughs) faith-filled spiritual person who identifies as a Christian. But, you know, what I had been taught was happening to me was what is called a loss of faith, right? That's what I had been told Mm -hmm. the label was for what was happening to me at the time. You know, now I realize what was happening to me, you know, in my sort of rear view mirror is um, it it was a movement from a first stage of faith where I was, you know, a convert who unquestioningly believed everything and, um, you know, didn't even need to like, you know, that MLK quote that's Mm. on the wall, you know, that... um, uh, faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase, right? Like, right. you know, I didn't even need that because I I had the staircase. I had the staircase clear in perfect view with the um, certainty to yeah. to this topic of certainty, the yeah. certainty of a convert, you know, and, and it was when I lost all of that um, that, that I was told meant loss of faith. Um, that I realized I was just starting this next step. You know, Mm -hmm. what happens when you keep showing up, you know, maybe not at that church Mm -hmm. because that church doesn't, you know, appreciate (laughs) showing up beyond moving this past this first stage, but you keep showing up, you know, in the midst of the uncertainty and the doubts Mm -hmm. and the questions and the scene behind the veil and knowing that there are messages out there that are life-giving and that there are messages out there that are life-depleting that are coming from the same mouths in the same Mm. you know and i and i when i say mouth i mean that you know as like a not individual mouths but the the sort of mouth Mm -hmm. of a of a force of a community um yeah okay so you uh thank you i so i I, so rudely interrupted your story but i was no 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 um it's an important one it's an important question because i you know i think for a lot of years 
you know, in this story, it's, I'm glad that you paused and you did, um, you know, it was really heartbreaking for me. You know, I, I really felt like I had lost everything that meant anything to yeah. me, you know, and, and, and it was, a a, a tragedy in a lot of ways because I didn't feel like I had any choice, you know? I just felt like, listen, you know, I am who I am. I am this gendered person who people perceive in a particular way and I can't change, you know, how how I am, you mm-hmm. know? And so um, I felt like I was given an, a choice between myself and everything that I loved, you know, my community, my, um, my purpose, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. my, um, my God, I felt like I was being, having to choose between myself and my God, mm. you know, and, um, but it, but it wasn't a fair choice because right, I, right. because I couldn't not choose me. And I, and I know some people, you know, do, they try to be somebody that they're not. And I tried that for a long time, mm-hmm. you know, but it just, it, you know, I exhausted that journey and um and it was really really uh an awful place you know to to get to get a little biblical <laughs> which i don't Wait, always <laughs> i don't always do i don't always do but you guys are a podcast that i believe invites such things you know i it's it's interesting i i look back at the bible with different eyes than i used to when mm. i was growing up within the community with with within which i was raised um and, and I feel like I see so many things, you know, in a, in a new light. Um, and one of the, one of the verses that I, um, see differently than I used to is, um, is, uh, when Jesus says, you know, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let go of your life for me, you will find it. And, um, that's a terrifying thing to do. Yeah. And I feel like the moment that I called my loss of faith story, that I still think of as my loss of faith story because it still holds that title for mm-hmm. me and my, you know, trajectory, um, was actually letting go of my life in a way that allowed me to find it with, with a different kind of faith, right. a deeper mm-hmm. faith. Right. And, um, and I couldn't have done that had I, had I not, terrifyingly let go and faced the abyss that was losing everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was the fear of that and the anticipation of that, uh, as bad as it was actually in, you know, did, did it match once you finally kind of made that step forward? Mm. Did, did your anticipation and your fear match what you encountered? Yeah, I, I yeah, I think it did. To be yeah. honest with you, I feel like you want me to say no, but no, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm just curious. Passed. I mean, I, I it think... was it was as bad, but it passed. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was as bad because because it's an utterly terrifying thing to lose your life. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, and and there's a period yeah. of time before you have a new life, before you have new security systems before you have new habits before yeah. you have new people to whom you can go to for advice that you uh feel is something that you can rest into and not mm-hmm. push up against because you don't know if you can trust it right yeah. um there's a there's a, a a there is a gap i call it the gap I actually actually have thought a lot about this there's a gap between when you let go of one worldview 
And when you're forming another worldview or when you let go of one community or way of looking at the world that is within a community and you're looking for the next one, you're not there yet. And you sort of stand looking over the abyss, right? Or you like float within the abyss or you are like thrown from one edge of the abyss to the next and to the next and, you know, and it's a tumultuous, terrifying, groundless, gravityless place, you know, and, and you just have to, faith your way into <laughs> some yeah. other form of solid ground yeah. that looks different than the solid ground you came from before because it's because it is a, a ground based in questions which means every day you're taking steps on a staircase that you can't see the rest right. of right right you know and there's freedom in that and um and there's also you know there's something that's really scary before you realize that you've taken enough steps enough times to to say oh no it's always there every time I step down. So what did it look like for you in that time? And what were some of those steps that actually brought you onto some new solid ground? Hmm. I mean, I think one of the steps was just realizing um, that I had permission that came from within me to do whatever I gave myself permission to do. Like this is, I'm gonna tell a story that sounds insane right now, <laughs> but, and I really feel like your listeners are gonna be like, meh. But, um, <laughs> but, so I remember, I remember I, um, when I, went, I went back to college after this experience of this story that I labeled loss of faith, which was actually moving to a deeper stage of faith. And, um, I went back to college soon after that and uh, I was sitting around with some friends having dinner and we were having shrimp and um, and the shrimp tails were just like really fresh and vibrant and full of color and I just remember being like gosh those, those are like beautiful shrimp tails like I love I love like life is rich and beautiful and um, and uh, the woman took my plate you know and was clearing my plate because it was just the tails because I'd eaten the shrimp and I turned to my friend and I was like oh I've, there's a part of me that feels so sad about losing those shrimp tails. <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, let me go get them for you. And I was like, what? That's insane. And he's like, no, 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 excuse me. M miss, miss, miss. We need those shrimp tails back. And she looked at us and she was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm sorry. We just, we need the shrimp tails. <laughs> and she was like, um, here, here's the plate. Feel free to take those shrimp tails. You are clearly insane people. And he gave them back to me. And I remember being like, yeah. I can keep the shrimp tails if I want to. Like I can do anything, you know? Like it doesn't matter what she thinks of me. It doesn't matter if all of you mm -hmm. at this table thought that I was crazy because I wanted to keep those shrimp tails, which as it turns out, I didn't want to leave the restaurant with. Right. <laughs> Just wanted them a little longer, you know, to hold on to the beauty of life for a second. Anyway, so part of it was kind of giving myself permission just to say, I don't have to ask for permission. Yes. Yeah. You know? Um, and part of it was, uh, you know, learning how to trust my inner voice, which um, some might call the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that and that is something that I think I was raised not to do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I was raised that if anything that I feel inside of me counters what I'm being taught in my community, then it's probably sinful. Mm -hmm. And so I should probably shut it down mm -hmm. um, and ignore it. And so I had to literally retrain myself to 
to not only hear it, but to trust it and to, um, to be able to, to lean into it. Mm. And, and, and are, that took a long time. Yeah. And those are made, those decisions are made a hundred times a day, just a yeah. hundred small decisions, whether it's yes. about shrimp tails or, or whatever it is. It's, and it felt like I was winning a race every time. Yeah. So it would be like, it would be like, you know, right. You're exactly right. Like yeah. every single minute, you know, you're kind of testing your ability to be who you are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it, and it feels like you're like constantly like crossing a finish line. You're like, I kept the shrimp tails and I took yeah. the art class and I kissed that guy and yeah. or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, and it's all hard. You like every step of it is hard when you, when you step out of a, a system that, that tells you all the answers when you have to figure it out and you take that step and that staircase is still there. And, the, and it's a practice, right? I mean, it's, it's, I've heard it, you know, like if you're, if you're going to develop a a habit or a practice, you need to be consistent on that and intentional on that. Yeah. You know what? Two, two weeks, three weeks, just, just so that it registers and then, and and then the work begins and then you're every day, every decision, every opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I'm still, I'm still on that journey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I, so you went back to school after all of this. You went back yeah. to school, and and then what? Uh, well, okay. So we kind of left off at two points in this in the journey. So I went back to school. Yeah. Um, that started for me in my early twenties. So so then that takes me to going back to school was kind of the beginning of the let me live differently. Let me keep the mm-hmm. shrimp tails. Let me you know I'm mm-hmm. I'm free from these messages. So who am I really? Which is when I realized. Oh no no no! I'm anything but free from these messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and this is hard, right? And so that's what led me to it at 26, moving back to my hometown and saying, "Anybody else?" And um, and then that led to going back to grad school. Yeah, so grad school. so grad school was in my um, you know like 27 through 29, and um, you know from there I ended up joining other people who were doing work on religious reform and um, who were working in Christianity and also some of the other world's major religious traditions to rethink how we look at gender. So I, the biggest thing that I did, I did a bunch of consulting for a lot of different places, but the biggest thing I did is I worked for a foundation um, that worked on the intersection between faith and feminism. And so that was really, really fantastic because it was an opportunity to meet all of these incredible people who were talking about faith very differently that I'd been raised to be allowed to um, and who were embodying a different form of Christian identity and Christian um, woman identity, um, which was very cool. But, you know, one thing that happened is that in the years that I spent there, you know, some of those years I was um, a program officer, so I was reading all the grant proposals that were coming in. And I really noticed that there was this big gap between what I was reading in grant proposals and seeing among grantees and still what I was experiencing in my life and hearing among my interviews, which I was still doing on the side, Mm. right? Just Mm -hmm. as a personal project Mm -hmm. that, you know, merged into my grad school work and then re-entered into my life (laughs) as a loose, you know, sort of side project again. Um, you know, because people were willing to talk about gender and they were willing to talk about sexual orientation, but they were not willing to talk about sex and shame 
and the stuff that happens to you when you try to live into this um, uh, new way of approaching the world. So, so here I'm having interviews with people and, and to a certain extent experiencing my own life still, you know, um, being triggered by all this gender and sex and sexuality stuff and having, you know, nightmares and, you know, talking to people who are having panic attacks and, you know, all kinds of things that are not in the grant proposals. Right. So, so I ended up leaving the uh, foundation to write a book um, and I made a sort of a first attempt about six years ago to, to tell these stories. And um, I don't know how much detail to go into, so I'll try and do this briefly, but um, it, didn't, it didn't go so great uh, mm. because I went back to, to my hometown to do it. Um, some might say to uh, subconsciously gain permission. Mm. <laughs> um, has been suggested to me since, mm-hmm. um, at, which I did not receive. Sure, and uh, and it just felt it felt like a next level of my living into my truth to to tell these stories externally in a way that I wasn't ready to do. You know, I was not at a place yet where I was ready to go public with rocking the boat. You know, um, so so it took me another you know, five, six years to, to get back to being able to reapproach again, you know, Mm. and it just never went away, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I will say that I felt like, you know, from, again, from a faith-based perspective, it's kind of nice to have, uh, to be able to talk about faith, by the way, because I feel like I, I walk in secular worlds uh, a lot these days. And so it's kind of nice to be able to, to um, talk about that part of myself as well. I I do walk in faith-based worlds as well, but, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I, I felt like I was disappointing God all these years because I had a call on my life and I, mm. and it was, I was still dealing with my own stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And you know, <laughs> like I felt like I was failing, I was failing him, yeah. you know, yeah, him, yeah. her. Yeah, <laughs> right. And um, so, so anyway, it, so eventually I, I, you know, left the space and started working in the secular world and social entrepreneurship and purpose and other things that were life-giving in other ways and mm. um, had to recircle from the outside. And uh, that brings me to your original question. <laughs> Go for it. What am I working on today? <laughs> nice. So, um, so I ended up getting a book deal to actually be able to tell these stories. Okay. And uh, the result was going back and recontacting everybody I had talked to from really? before. So reaching out to people that it had been 10 years since I talked to in some cases or in some cases more recently. Yeah. And saying, okay, here's what you said back then. What do you, what of that do you agree with? What don't you, what's happened since then? And went on about seven months of just journeying through stories again and just digging deeper and deeper and deeper into these truths. And, uh, and, and now I'm, I'm writing a book that's about my story and their stories and um, some research on why this is happening mm. and, uh, and what, what happens in our heads as adolescents, you know, in, in the sort of plastic brain development, right. <laughs> you know, that, um, that, that specific types of messages that are shaming in when it comes to these topics mm-hmm. um, result in, in particular realities in adulthood. And what are some of those stories? I mean, what are some of the very specific things that you found that were just like, if you could identify these three things in, and they had kind of threaded through, what were some of those maybe that, um, that have really driven some of the, the struggle that people are finding? Yeah. You mean in terms of what people are taught as girls? Yeah. 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 So, so this comes down to this idea of of shame. Um, so I am one of the many people who 
who got drawn back into the shame conversation that our culture had backed away from for a few years when Brene Brown um, started talking about it uh, more with through her TED Talks originally. And, um, and that was just this major aha for me because I was like, oh, oh yeah. The way you're describing shame is the way in which I was taught about sex and gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that you're describing what happens to people, <laughs> you know, when they have internalized, uh, you know, deep shame and are going through shame s- spirals um, is what I'm seeing in my interviews among adults. So, so anyway, so, so th- all that to say, to answer your question, we need to talk about what shame is. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of people know this already, Forgive me if I'm saying something that all the Brene Brown fans are like, yeah, duh. But um, <laughs> but shame is this idea of embodiment, right? It's these, it's this belief that I am something bad or that people will perceive me as something bad that makes you terrified that you're going to be pushed out of a community. And I've heard Brene Brown suggest that the reason that that is historically is because if you were shamed out of community, you know, when we were in community to be protected from external forces and to share food and so on and so forth, it, it literally is death to be pushed out of that community, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so so shame is the experience of feeling like you are bad or you are are perceived as bad in a way that that uh, creates a fear of being pushed out that can sometimes almost feel like death and that actually your body processes like trauma in a way that makes us say, oh, oh, that makes sense because, you know, trauma is a, is a um, near-death experience oftentimes in, you know, in different ways, right? So anyway, whereas something like guilt is, you know, you did something bad, you know, you, you shouldn't have done that, but you're still, you're still you, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't have done that. Um, and actually how shame and guilt affect people is really, really opposite. So, um, so shame makes people, because they're so terrified of being kicked out of community, makes people uh, distance from other people. So they might hide the thing that they're most ashamed of. They might uh, push people away by attacking them. They might you know, go inside in this self-beating-up you know, beating up way. Uh, whatever it is, they're creating distance between themselves and and others, mm-hmm. um, particularly others who are closest to that of which they're ex- around which they're experiencing shame. Whereas guilt actually makes you want to repair relationships and make things better, <laughs> you know, okay. because you believe that you're. In fact, it's called a moral. I I, I went to a moral education conference once, which described um, guilt as kind of a moral emotion. It makes you moral, <laughs> okay. you know. It makes you become better. So. So when I look at how sexuality education was taught to me growing up, which gender is inextricable from, because of course sexuality is taught very different to girls and and boys, Um, (laughs) girls and boys and everyone else on the spectrum, but they would never say that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And when I say they, I mean most everyone. you know, is is uh, is via a shame-based frame. It's if you do this, you will become this. If you uh, get go too far sexually, you will become uh, unattractive to any future partner. You will become um, impure. You will become. You know, mm-hmm. right? Like even that's your identity. It's, it's your you, core it is who identity. You are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you have changed, right? So like, think about how we talk about anything else. We talk about it as, you know, you shouldn't do that, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't like become something, 
you know? Um, and I think, you know, the world might, might have labels that go, there are other things that we label in a way that we say changes people, which I also find problematic. And you can trace that to other problems in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, but, but, you know, in the church, that's the thing that we really, we really glom onto. And it's true for everyone, but, you know, girls get an extra special dose of it. <laughs> you know, you are bad or will think you're bad at the very least, right. you know. And, and so what that does, you know, you become an adult and you've got these messages that are dug up in there from your kid years, you know, (laughs) and you're desperately trying to just, you know, have a healthy life and you've got this shame that keeps coming in. And, and, you know, I know that there are researchers out there who would, who would say to me, listen, it's way more complicated than that. There's attachment issues. There's your family background. There's whether or not you have support systems. I mean, there's all these things that affect this and it's not as simple as you are told this, therefore you're going to experience that. And I absolutely 100% agree. You know, we are are complex creatures with complex, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, influences on our lives. Um, but we've not really looked at the way in which our messaging has been shaping brains, um, you know, in this way uh, as a contributing factor. And um, and instead, you know, people are told when they're adults, oh, you're, oh, you're struggling with this? Well, you probably did something wrong. Like you probably mm-hmm. were too sexual when you were young. Did you masturbate? What did you do wrong that is making your marriage messed up now? Mm. Right? Not, mm. what did we tell you that might be haunting you in a way that is problematic <laughs> that we need to take ownership for and say, there are other ways to look at this. Let me yeah. free you from this shame. In, in fact, I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard this. Sometimes people are shamed for their shame. They're like, well, mm-hmm. you're feeling, you're, fe- you're experiencing a sinful uh, shame experience. Hmm. So, so you need to, you need to let God take care of that for you. Right? Like yeah. that's, that's, that's a, that's a problem that you need to, you need to address. <laughs> that's a sinful, a sinful perception mm-hmm. of sex. <laughs> right. Go, so, go, so shame going meta. Is that what that is? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> But in the process, you're, you're, uh, you know, like there's this idea of, of a pain body when you're not dealing mm-hmm. with your with your pain, and, and in the in the process of dealing with with your pain, you've um, uh, been able to just not carry that around with you in the same kind of way anymore, yes. and and move forward, um, and then hopefully help liberate other people in the process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and and that relationship to the physical body. Right. And just the, have so are you familiar with Gabor Mate? He's a researcher out of Canada. Um, actually, actually he's a medical doctor. I say he's a researcher, but I'm not really sure he started as a medical doctor. Um, and he was seeing all these patients who were experiencing physical, uh, uh, diseases and other things. And he was like, let me just talk to them about their lives and find out what's really going on in their lives and started seeing, traits that were similar that he was like oh the mind body connection <laughs> we got to we got to address this yeah so he wrote a book called when the body says no which is essentially about uh when you can't say no you know when you're repressing emotions mm. when you're not dealing with your stuff you know it's going to come out somewhere it's going to be relegated to uh, a, a part of your body that is physicalizing it um yeah. And it'll hit you at your weak spot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
so how have you seen the importance of, of certainty in religious circles cause stress and anxiety in, in people and, and how can we change that culture? Yeah, so one of the most difficult things that comes up in my interviews for me to deal with yeah. is when people talk about their relationships with their parents. Um, so I grew up being taught that family values meant values around what a family was supposed to look like, right? One man, one woman, forever. <laughs> uh, and so a lot of my interviewees are, are experiencing things that might not fit into this rubric of what a family is supposed to look like according to these capital F, capital V family values, right? Mm -hmm. They're gay, they're uh, living with a partner before marriage, they're, um, they've been raped, um, whatever the case may be. And parental responses to kids' uh, lives, I, can, I see go one of two ways. I see parents either uh, say, well, family values say, if you were raped and you were drinking, we need to deal with your drinking, right? Like, because that's, because hmm. you weren't doing what you should have done. Had you been doing the right thing, then, mm -hmm. and which goes back into shame, which goes back into everything else, right? Yeah. Or um, family values say that you can't, and, and nobody would say family values say, right? But, you know, that, that you can't be gay, that's wrong and bad, and therefore, we're cutting off our relationship with you until you deal with that. And you're welcome to come back just as soon as you are um, willing to be celibate or uh, you have been freed from your homosexuality right, in some right, other way. You know, right. you know. And here's uh, the brochure for the thing right, that will help you do that. Right, 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 right. right, right. You know, and, and, and it's been, it's really struck me when I listen to these stories. I just, it makes me so, 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 so sad because people have these I feel like more heartbreak in those stories than I do in any other stories. When people talk about their parents' responses to their lives and to their experiences, when their parents look at them through the lens of certainty, through the lens of this is the way things are and this is the way things have to be. And if you don't fit into it, you know, then you don't fit into us. And um, in a way that disintegrates families. Right. Mm -hmm. In a way that creates disconnection and um, and it's just deep, 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 deep hurt. You know, even even kids whose parents and they have gotten back into relationship, you know, and they see each other a couple of times a year. And maybe the parents think everything is OK now. It is not OK. Right. Like you listen to those kids stories and those parental responses around this is around their certainty around this is how things are, um, you know, it, are deep wounds. That hmm. those, those kids will never tell their parents their truths again. Hmm. They will never have an intimate relationship again. You know, they might see them on Christmas and give them a hug, but you keep it at the surface yeah. and everything else. And, yeah. um, and then there are the parents who kind of live into uh, the uncertainty and who say, <sighs> I was always taught things were supposed to be like this and your lived experience is, is this. 
and how do I understand and contend with this and how do I sit down next to you and look at it with you and and try to try to wrestle with the gap between these things and and also talk with you about it and maintain mm-hmm. our relationship and no I'm not going to kick you out of my life are you kidding like you are my kid mm-hmm. you know so we wrestle with this together and maybe we end up in different places maybe I change you know who knows right um so I, I mean, to me, like that is that is that is the biggest uh, example of the the danger of certainty, and and the parent-child relationship is just, of course, one relationship. This is it plays out in all different kinds of relationships, right? Yeah. Like think about think about I just think of a million stories off the top of my head. You know, <laughs> right. all these people whose whose relationships have have fallen apart because something of their lived experience doesn't fit into um, someone's perceived notion of how things should be and if you've been within a community where everyone has the same notion you lose everything you know Mm -hmm. um you know but but then there are those who 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 refuse to to let that be so i feel like i feel like there's there is um a great danger in too much certainty Mm -hmm. (laughs) like (laughs) we need to stand by what we believe and you know and also i think the minute that we believe that we have all the answers we are in a really dangerous (laughs) space where the spirit is no longer moving (laughs) (laughs) we have to hold on to we, we we have to have answers to our questions on some level, but, uh, and I was just talking about it earlier. I was, uh, in another conversation, but you have to kind of hold on to it loosely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, because there's going to be something else. And, and so our certainty, um, it's almost an illusion, but it's also what I'm, what I'm hearing in this is something about, uh, how we have disagreements and how we, when we don't see things the same with as as others mm-hmm. how how do we enter maintain relationship with one another even when it's hard even when those um when we're coming at it from from two different sides of, yeah. of things i mean you see that in politically right now yeah, you see yeah, that yeah, uh socially and yeah. in, in family dynamics as well well and also this idea that revelation is still coming yeah right like the idea that that the story is not over you know and that god hasn't stop speaking like if we if we hold on to things too tightly yeah you know we've shut off we've shut off our ability to continue to receive what is still Mm. happening Mm -hmm. and we confuse faith with certainty right whereas actually perhaps they're the exact opposite things yeah Yeah. right exactly exactly who are some of the women who have been examples and mentors for you so i love this question yeah (laughs) Uh, I was, I was thinking about that earlier and the person that I keep coming back to that I love to talk about because, you know, she makes me so happy is, uh, Reverend Kanye Ray Eden, who is a, a pastor in the Bronx at an evangelical church at a, at a black church. And, um, she used to be my boss when I worked at the Sister Fund, which is the foundation that works in the intersection of faith and feminism. Okay. And um, she is just like this incredibly vibrant, beautiful, powerful woman who, it, you know, I, I have this memory of her wearing an all orange suit, you know, with a yellow shirt and a scarf and, you know, just, mm-hmm. just fearlessly entering every room and being... Um, 
just just one of those people that everybody wants to be around all the time. And uh, and I felt very, 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 very blessed and lucky to have her have no choice but to see me every day because I worked in her office, you know, <laughs> and, um, and and she really pastored us. It was an all women staff and, and she really pastored us and loved us very, very, very deeply. And I uh, I felt very blessed by that. And I think that she has a lot to do with why I started to be able to call myself a Christian again, because she and other women um, that I met during that period, who are also just these incredibly, you know, powerhouse women like Catherine Henderson, who um, is the president of Auburn Theological Seminary and Serene Jones, who's the president of Union Theological Seminary. You know, they modeled for me uh, a not just a different kind of Christian woman, in their boldness and their fearlessness and their saying what they're not supposed to say ness <laughs> and you know they really showed for me not just a different way to be a christian woman but a different way to be a christian you know to go back to this theme of certainty i feel like you know they really uh claimed their christianity to the extent that they were pastors, our pastors and our presidents of seminaries, though their Christianity looked more like my Christianity looked like mm. then, not what it looked like back in the day when I was told that that's what a Christian had to look like, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they waited in the waters of, of certainty and uncertainty and doubt and faith and being troublemakers and, you know, all, all of it all together. And they just kept showing up day after day with the struggles and with the problems and with the knowledge of the inequities and with the not, you know, and, and I think that that was important to me because it demonstrated something that I didn't understand until that point, which was that I didn't have to leave the church. I could choose to leave the church, right? But mm. that there were places that said mm. I still was a Christian. Mm. And that if I wanted to hold on to that title, it was there for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And um and and I and that's when I started to to call myself a Christian again. You know, for a lot of years I was still doing prayer and I, you know, I was still living my individual spiritual life, but I was staying as far away from churches as I possibly could. And then I started working with religious people and I would like hang out with them, but I wouldn't go to their churches, you know? Um, Cause that felt like very not safe space for me. Um, but you know, but they really showed me that, that, uh, that I, I could be a Christian, um, which was a, a hugely uh, important uh, moment in in my my journey, mm-hmm. and because being a Christian is powerful, you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel I feel like it's important for me to align with institutions as much as I can because institutions are powerful, and um, when you have things to get done, it's good to have friends, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and not to always have to be a lone wolf, right? Right to experience this thing, but experience it in community in a community that honors you for being, for being you. Yeah. 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 We really love getting to know Linda and just hearing a little bit more of her story. I think she's, she's got an important and powerful voice and a lot to share. Yeah, it was, it's fun to be able to actually be able to introduce her to you. And, and I'm just now getting to read her book and I so recommend that you buy it Mm -hmm. and share it with the people that you love. 
Yeah, Linda brings forward so many stories, in including her own, that just need to be heard. Um, maybe you come out of the evangelical tradition and maybe you don't, but the pervasiveness of misogyny, of the shaming of women and girls in particular, it really just, it transcends a religious tradition. It's part of the fabric of our society and it, it can be different. It can be better. Absolutely. And, and so buy and discuss this book, you know, read it on your own or read it with some friends. Maybe you have a small group. Maybe you're part of a, a men's group or a women's group. Maybe it's with your family. One way or another, check it out, share it. There's just so much wisdom to be had here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with all the things that we've got going on in the Sandbox, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. Also, remember to check out our Sandbox live event on Sunday, September 23rd at 7 p.m. Central Time. Again, tickets are in short supply, so get them while you can. Join us in-house or online, and for more details, check out sandboxcooperative.com. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it, because there's always more room in the sandbox. Until next time, we'll see ya. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox. <laughs>